we try to start our tenant landlord relationships off really well. It's important for those to be strong and to remain strong. And when there's an issue that comes up that we address it properly and quickly. Welcome to Surgeon Syndicate. If you're paying attention, you know that you only make money when you work. It might be great money, but it's dependent on you. The information on this podcast will help you solve that. We interview experts and provide analysis into financial freedom through commercial real estate. Why? To help physicians like you thrive. Let's dive in. Welcome to Surgeon Syndicate. This is your host, Dr. Michael McManus, and we are here today with John Bunch. John is a senior advisor with SV Stone Commercial Real Estate in Lexington, Kentucky, where he leads the industrial real estate division. John is also the son of a general vascular surgeon. John, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. So glad to be here. What you do is a special interest to me. This industrial real estate is something I've been really working hard to better understand and learn about. And so it's something that I find most docs, when we talk about it, it really seems like this big foreign concept. It's kind of beyond what they understand easily. So tell me more about what you do and your role in this space. Sure. So we're a full service brokerage and I'll lead our industrial team. And so what that means is we help both tenants and buyers. We've helped tenants find space in the industrial realm. We help buyers find places to occupy for their businesses. We help investors uh, buy investment property. And then we do dispositions as well. I mean, we help clients and investors sell their assets and we help businesses sell their properties as well or do sale leaseback transactions. So pretty much the whole gambit. And then there's two major industrial product types really in our market, and that's manufacturing and distribution. That's where the majority of the assets lie. I mean, there's plenty of specialized assets in between that, such as cold storage, freezer storage, industrial outdoor storage, things of that nature. But in our market specifically, we're more geared towards manufacturing distribution. All right. So for somebody new to this space is what I hear you telling me, and this is where people get nervous, like, okay, so I buy a warehouse. I know nothing about renting that warehouse. So I don't have to rent the warehouse out. You can take care of that whole part of the process, both finding one for sale and the lease up process. Yes, of course. So I consider myself a market specialist outside of industrial real estate. I don't really do much else. I'll have some folks ask me about helping them find an office or a retail space, but we have other specialists in our office that are better at those asset classes than I am. They know the market rates. They know the tenant improvement allowances. They know how to negotiate those deals better than I would. So we're pretty cognizant of what we're good at and knowing what we don't know, if you will. And so it's funny you mentioned that industrial seems foreign and a little bit more complicated. I would say that amongst industrial real estate folks, it's probably the most simple asset class. It's simple in a lot of ways. It's simple in its design and construction. Most of these are boxes that are built out of concrete block or metal combination of both or concrete tilt-up, right? They're pretty simple construction. They have offices inside of them, generally smaller offices. That's just a box inside of a box. And then you got some HVAC components and some sprinkler components and some concrete floors and some dock positions and equipment in that realm for loading and unloading. That's about it outside of some heavy power. So the construction for a medical office building or the construction for multifamily units are much more complicated. And in fact, the lease structures are more complicated too, generally speaking. 
I'll say I got into industrial real estate because before I was in real estate, I was involved with a manufacturer who manufactured products that were sold into industrial buildings. They manufactured a product called Big Ass Fans. So they're 24-foot high-volume, low-speed fans that are put in large warehouses because they're cost prohibitive to cool via HVAC, right? So you move a lot of air over people. They're sweating in the warehouse in the summertime, evaporative cooling effect. It was a great product and we sold a ton of them. And so I just grew to love the industrial space because of several reasons. For one, the businesses in there are very necessary. And I love seeing the variety of things that those businesses do. We lease to companies that own HVAC distributors who just bring in products from wholesalers and ship them out to HVAC contractors, all the way to people that are manufacturing very high-tech equipment, pharmaceuticals, et cetera, and everything in between. And generally speaking, these manufacturers, they make the world go round. These guys are making automotive parts. They're making different foods that we eat. They're making oils and all these different things. And the variety of tenants is vast. And during COVID, when everything was shut down, what are essential businesses? Well, pretty much everything industrial is essential. And so that was really good during that time. A lot of people struggled during COVID, but we were inundated with business because people had to store and ship and freight had to continue moving for not only PPE equipment and the like, but for your typical household goods. I mean, your toilet paper is manufactured somewhere and diapers and everything else. They all come out of manufacturing facilities. And so I love the clientele. They're generally pretty easy to work with. Their processes can be complicated, but the leasing of the properties is not an overly complicated venture. So with... Uh um, sorry, I lost my thought. I was thinking about what you were talking about, and that was so cool that this is stuff that a lot of people don't see. Where I'm recording from right now is a little office building on the side of an industrial area in Green Bay, Wisconsin. So when you talk about toilet paper, that's kind of what Green Bay is built on toilet paper. So <laughs> when it was tough to get toilet paper in Green Bay is when we knew things were tough during COVID. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so I take a route to get here that I drive by Green Bay packaging in the heart of this industrial area, but there's not a lot of traffic except for a few big trucks. And so people don't see a lot of it. And I think that's maybe why they don't understand it as well. So in this process for an investor looking at it, what are the advantages of investing that from your standpoint in industrial versus apartment buildings? Sure. So the majority of people I talk to when I tell them I'm in commercial real estate, they're like, you all sell houses. And I'm like, no, I pretty much never sold a house in my life. <laughs> right. So, and I think when you are getting into investing into commercial real estate, people's natural tendency is to go into multifamily. And that tendency really is predicated on the fact that you can connect the dots pretty easily. Hey, I have bought a home. I have lived in a home or I have lived in an apartment. It's easy for me to see, okay, people need a place to live. This is a pretty safe investment. I bought a house before. What's buying 10 units at a time or four units or duplex, triplex, fourplex, 50 units? And we sell properties in our office up to 300 units. I think it's just the familiarity and people can quickly get from A to B in terms of, well, there's less risk here because people will always need a place to live. There's some truth to that. It's a pretty resilient asset class and has been for a long time. 
But it's also, you're operating a business when you have a lot of multifamily units. You have pretty large management fees. As the industrialists say, more toilets, more problems. That's true. Uh, It's difficult. The key to multifamily and the key to a lot of investment is scale. It's really hard to have a couple of fourplexes. The management fees eat it up. A couple of hot water heaters go out. Roofs in bad shape. Tenant vacates overnight, leaves a mess behind. You have a lot of expenses constantly. Tax assessments go up and you're constantly turning over units. Most tenants stay for a year, two years, three years. So you're constantly turning over new carpet, new paint. It's an expensive venture. I say with office space, obviously the world has changed quite a bit. I think the news headlines are a little bit overblown. There's still a need for specifically office space for medical and attorneys, and there's still a need out there. But office space is really expensive because most of the lease structures in office space are on gross structures. In gross structures, the landlord's paying the taxes, the insurance, the general maintenance, the utilities, and those costs very rarely go down. And you can put expense stops and hedge your bets and do some things to that nature to help out with that. But right now, the biggest question mark on office is, if I do all this stuff, what's the demand going to be. If I make this space really great, am I going to get a tenant? And the jury's out, right? And so that makes the risk profile pretty tight or pretty high, I should say. And, and really with office, you get into fit up again. Someone comes in and says, I want these walls torn out. I want new paint, new carpet. I need a certain amount of filtration in here because it's a medical use. I need a lot of plumbing because I'm a dentist office. And these fit ups for a 1500 square foot office or a 2500 square foot office can be really expensive can be 100 150 200 a foot i mean i just did a surgery center in town and again i'm an industrialist but you know i have a client they're an orthopedic client they're great guys do great work but their fit up on a new surgery center was 21 million dollars that's a lot and those leases can be 15 20 25 years and so with industrial what i found is because of the simplicity of the construction generally and what's taking place in those facilities and the wherewithal that the tenants themselves have, because these are craftsmen. These are guys who they know how to take apart an engine and rebuild it. So they walk into a space and they look at the office space and it's got some ceiling tiles that are dampened or it's got some carpet that needs to be replaced. And a lot of times these guys will go into the space and they're like, if we can get a rate taking it as is, we'll do all this ourselves. We'll just do it. So these are guys that are, craftsmen and they're going to come in, maybe pay you a little bit less than what you ask, but they're going to improve your space. And they take a lot of pride in it. They take a lot of pride in the space that they operate in. Or if there's a problem that comes up, a commode is stopped up or a heater's not working. Very rarely, I mean, I personally am with some partners about 200,000 square feet. I maybe get 10 calls a year, maybe across that entire portfolio because these guys just know how to fix things. And it's a lot simpler for them to go in and fix the problem and say, hey, we have this problem. We fixed it. Just want to let you know. And if it's a big problem, if it's a roof or a structure issue, we get involved quickly. I mean, taking care of your tenants is very important if you want to keep them. And so I think that is really what's drawn me. It's the businesses. It's the people. They're pretty blue collar generally. And that's what I have always kind of gravitated towards is people that have great businesses that work hard that you've never heard of that are making... $50 $50 million on the top line every year just from selling widgets. And you're never going to see them in a suit. They're jeans and t-shirt guys and work with some ESOPs as well that some of these line workers in there have $6 million in retirement. So 
that's what's really drawn me to this asset class. I think you'll find that we're also in triple net structures. So our leases are, when I say triple net, the tenant pays their pro rata share of taxes and insurance and general maintenance. And we rarely get pushback on that structure. We take care of roof. We take care of the structure itself and uh, any major capital items we'll address in the lease. If HVAC needs to be replaced, we'll typically participate in things like that. But again, a lot of times our tenant base will go out and the heater changer goes out. They'll just fix it. It's amazing. It's less work for them to just fix it than to call you and wait for you to schedule and then have somebody else come into their shop. They just get it done. Right. Or so-and-so's next door and we've used them in the past on some of our stuff, some of our other issues that we've had. They said it's going to be 400 bucks to replace this. Do you care if we go ahead and get it done? I mean, for me, it's hard to say no when someone's like, hey, I've gone ahead, talked to somebody, gotten a bid, and this is who we want to use. I'm like, of course, send me the invoice. And they don't want it done poorly. They're trying to get their shop back to quality working order and not have to deal with it again. Kind of like your whole goal. You don't want another problem down the road. So they just solved your problem. Yeah, they take a lot of pride in where they work and in our buildings. They're not, they don't own these buildings. They lease them from us, but we try to start our tenant landlord relationships off really well. It's important for those to be strong and to remain strong. And when there's an issue that comes up, that we address it promptly and quickly. And we don't have a lot of turnover. We really don't. What are your leases typically like? Maybe there's a big spread. So I almost said average, but what are the length of the leases you look at? Just some different examples. Yeah. So the market for industrial has been pretty competitive the last seven, eight years, very competitive. And so very rarely are we doing leases under three years. During COVID, we did some short-term leasing just because there was some short-term supply chain issues that needed to be resolved. And that required some short-term flexibility. But typically, at a minimum three years, I'd say the average is five. If we get into a specialized manufacturing deal where they need a lot of power upgrades, they need upgrade to three-phase power, and they need to install a couple thousand amps or something like that, because of the cost of those deals, we'll stretch to seven and 10. I don't do many deals over 10 years, personally. So for industrial, under three years is a short-term rental. Yes, under three would be very short term and typically come at a premium. If you want the flexibility of having a really short term, you're probably not going to get a market rate. You're probably going to be above market. And five years is pretty typical. That allows you to get some free rent. That allows you to participate in some TI dollars and seven and 10 years. That's more coming from groups who need some build out and infrastructure put in place. That's a little bit more costly. That helps spread out the cost. Okay. Now we go back to the multifamily comparison. That's why I kind of joked about short-term rental that under a month is a short-term rental or month-to-month leases and year leases or long leases. Nobody ever signs a multi-year residential lease. I shouldn't say nobody ever does. I'm sure it's happened. So the difference in the amount of work with an industrial building, you get it leased up. Now, that negotiation is probably a little bit more goes on in the negotiation for an Mm -hmm. industrial lease versus leasing an apartment. There's not a lot of negotiation there, typically. What are some of the things that people are asking for when you go through or walk through like an industrial lease negotiation? Yeah, we have several going on right now. So like right now, we're working on a distribution center. It's got about 45,000 square feet. And the tenant 
in that distribution center, we really don't have any office space. So the tenant needs about 2,000 square feet of office space. And that's going to cost us probably about 100 bucks a foot to build out, if not a little bit more. So that's $200,000 in cost we know we're going to have to spend. They need IT run. They need some security measures. They're storing medical-related documents in hard storage. And so the negotiation process, we're really not trying to go down a lot on our rent because we feel like we're priced pretty accurately there. And if you ever decide to sell an asset, you kind of want to keep your rents within line with the market as opposed to discounting them. Uh, we're not really looking to sell this, but your sale on an investment sale is based on your NOI. And when you're going down on your base rent, you're directly affecting your NOI. What we have been going back and forth on is how much we're going to contribute in a tenant improvement allowance to this tenant for this build out. In addition to that, we're willing to contribute more funds, but we would be essentially borrowing those funds to do that. So they would have to pay us to amortize those funds over the base term at our rate plus the cost of funds. So if we're borrowing at seven and a quarter, we're going to probably bid to them at about 9% to get a spread on those funds that we're spending. So... I would say the negotiation process on most industrial stuff that it's a little bit more simple than that. We usually get what's called a letter of intent. Someone submits to us, hey, this is who we are. This is our company. We're willing to lease this space for this amount of time at this rate. And these are the things that we need to do it. And so we take those letters of intent and we go through them and we see, are they offering us close to our rent? Okay. What is the business? Is it one that we want in here? Some of my clients are sensitive to that. They don't want a body shop or mechanic shop in their space because they're just naturally a dirty use. They don't want somebody who's in there uh, with an athletic use. The liability is too high. Or someone storing chemicals that certain types of pretty nasty solvents that could contaminate the asset if they are not handled properly. Right? We're looking at things like that. And then A lot of it comes down to how long have they been in business? What are their financials? Can they pay our rent? And that's part of the due diligence that a good broker should be advising on is, hey, do we need a personal guarantee on this deal? Was this entity newly formed three months ago and holds no assets? Despite what you believe in their business or what they believe, you need to know that if you're leasing out a property, that the people that you're leasing to, the businesses that you're leasing to have funds and can pay the rent. Because as in multifamily and every other asset class, we're underwriting risk and things happen. They do. Is that something that if you had a new entity, you'd want more money up front or their rent would be higher, those types of things to protect? Or depending on the space, I guess maybe you might say, hey, we got somebody else here that'll pay less, but we know they're going to pay. Yeah, it becomes an ownership decision. I mean, if we're getting multiple offers and there's someone who's going to pay 15% less in a rate, but they've been in business 30 years and their top line is significant and they have very little debt on their books, we're probably going to look pretty heavily at that deal. As opposed to a startup coming in and saying, listen, we have this great idea. We have this great business model. We have seed funding. You know, That's great, but a lot of businesses don't do well. And a lot of times to account for that risk, if we are going to do it, you're spot on. We'll ask for four months in prepaid rent in addition to a security deposit. We'll ask for Personal guarantees are a little bit tricky. Usually if the business goes under, everyone's got their money tied into their business anyways. And so you're just squeezing blood out of a turnip. Nobody wants to go and try to take someone's house or cars. It's like a bank taking back assets. Like, we don't want that. I don't want your house. And our investors don't either. And so we will take some of those risks. Because the market's been so strong, there's been so much demand from really good 
well-capitalized businesses, we're not taking as much of those as we used to. Okay. So if the personal guarantee comes from Elon Musk, you might be okay with that versus from somebody who's got it all tied up in the business. I mean, he might be more difficult to get money out of, right? <laughs> I mean, that guy's got enough lawyers to bankrupt our entire company. So <laughs> That's I, a great point. Uh, I mean, I think it's one of those things that makes people feel good. It's like getting documents notarized. It's like it makes people feel good, but it doesn't really carry a ton of weight. Well, that's a great point just from the standpoint as the investor, and especially if you're new to the space, having an experienced broker who says, listen, that name may look great on a personal guarantee, but they're going to be harder to collect from if they don't want to pay than anybody because they have the resources to not pay. (laughs) Right. And one of the things that you have to consider is how much is a deal costing you, right? That's what a lot of people don't think about. Like, let's say you have a 5,000 square foot industrial building, something small, and somebody comes along and says, I'll take the space as is. Don't need any free rent. Don't need any TI allowance. I'll pay your rate. I'll take it as is. And I'll pay you four months up front and rent. And they're a startup. The only cost that you have to doing that deal is real estate fees. That's the only cost. So let's say that your real estate fee that you paid on that was $10,000 and you collected $25,000 in prepaid rent. You're really not taking a whole lot of risk to do that deal. Now, you might factor in what it would cost to evict them or legal fees to get them out. But let's just say they paid rent solid for two years or a four or five year term. You've really done pretty well in that deal, right? Even if they don't fulfill it. Now, if they came in and said, listen, we need $100,000 in TI, we need six months of free rent, all of a sudden that deal just got really costly. And the risk profile changed completely. So we're going to do hundreds of thousands of dollars in build out. We need to see that the tenant is very well capitalized. But if you're a startup and you're not asking for anything and all that the owner's out is a real estate fee, they might be willing to take that risk. Right. So it's deal dependent. Okay. So we're going to break off our first part of this conversation. This has been great. And I've got all these questions now bubbling up in my head. So Please come back and join us for the second half of this conversation when we return with John Bunch. This has been an episode of Surgeon Syndicate. If you found value in this episode, no other surgeons are hungry to become job optional. You can help them by sharing this content today. I also want to serve you better, so I want to offer you two things. Number one, I'll be able to give you the content in an even better way if you can take a moment leave an honest review of the show explaining what you like and what you don't. Number two, if you are a surgeon and serious about this, you don't want to do this on your own because you don't want to make mistakes with your money. I'd be happy to help. Schedule a call. We can make a plan. Looking forward to having you with me on the next episode.